0: Good evening, welcome to the Cato Institute. I'm Kat Murthy, Cato's Senior Digital Outreach Manager, and you are at Cato Digital, an ongoing series of events highlighting the intersection of tech, social media, and the ideas of liberty. Our hashtag for tonight is, as always, Cato Digital. Please use that uh, to join the conversation on Twitter or Instagram. And for those of you watching online, you can also use that to tweet in questions, and we'll try to get to most of them towards the end of this presentation. Uh, those of you here in the live studio audience, if you're um, if you're on Snapchat, we also do have a special Snapchat geo filter that you can use. Mm. Right? Yeah, we're very uh, very tech heavy here. Um, so, our subject for tonight is three D printed guns, which have been in the news a lot lately. In Early May 2013, the world was introduced to the Liberator, the very first fully 3D-printable single-shot handgun. Uh, It's that little plastic doodad that you see right behind us on the screen. Um, In just two days, the design plans for the Liberator had been downloaded over 100,000 times, and predictably, the U.S. Department of State immediately turned around and demanded that the plans be taken down from the Internet um, this kicked off a long legal battle that culminated with a decision earlier this year, a settlement that uh, would allow for the sale of 3D-printed gun plans online starting on August 1st of this year. However, unfortunately, uh, that win was quickly uh, superseded by um, an order issued by Judge Robert Lasnik. Uh, a senior district judge of the U.S. District Court of the Western um, District of Washington, demanding a stop on the spread of 3D-printed gun design plans, design files. In the time since, multiple lawsuits have been filed, and legislature, legislators at the local, state, and federal levels, including right here in the District of Columbia, have attempted to put to pass legislation prohibiting so-called ghost guns uh, and the legal drama continues my guests here tonight are all very knowledgeable in the area of 3D guns uh, and I'm ex- excited for the conversation we're gonna have uh, first we have uh, Josh Blackman Josh is an attorney who's been working closely on this issue and he's also an adjunct scholar here at the Cato Institute you can find him on Twitter as @JoshMBlackman. Josh M Blackman Next, we have Matt LaRossier. He is a legal um, associate with Cato's Center for Constitutional Studies. And he's also the author of a new study that we have out on um, high capacity magazine restrictions in the United States. You can find him on Twitter as at Matt Law at Law. And finally, we have Mark McDaniel. Mark is a producer over at Reason TV. And he somewhat recently published an article in Reason Magazine uh, called How to Legally Make Your Own Off-The-Books Handgun. You can find him on Twitter as at Mark L. So like I said, I'm really excited for this conversation. Um, I'm hoping to get a lot of questions from the audience. Uh, but first, let's start off with an easy one. What exactly is a 3D printed gun?
1: Well, Kat, thank you for having me. Matt and uh, uh, Nick, I'm grateful for, uh, for being here. Um, this may surprise people. It's very easy to make your own gun. I could take you to a hardware store and buy $10 worth of parts, and you can make a rifle in five minutes. A PVC pipe and a nail is it all you really need. A 3D-printed gun is a very dumb way of making a gun. These things are brittle, they're hard to make, they don't have a lot of endurance, and they don't last long. So a 3D-printed gun is a way of using a computer to design parts on the screen, and it prints out each component of the firearm. You have to assemble it in such a way, and then you can use it to perhaps puncture the back of a bullet and make an explosion. Uh, but there's nothing special about a 3D-printed gun. I think it just stokes a lot of fear and paranoia among um, people people just don't understand guns at all.
2: Mm-hmm. I think you're right. So the thing about a... A 3D printed gun is really the ones we have um, that are out there, like the Liberator. They're not really firearms the way we think of them. They're all really zip guns, like Josh is talking about. It's a simple way of holding one cartridge and setting it off. Right. The mechanism to set off a cartridge. Yeah. The mechanism to set off a cartridge is all contained within the cartridge. So if you just have some way of holding it tightly and then setting it off, basically you've got a gun. Um, As Josh was saying, it's a very dumb way to make a gun. A barrel that can fire again and again depends on the spring properties of steel. You might not think of it, but steel, in a gun barrel, expands and contracts and has to do the same thing every time in order to fire consistently and safely. Plastic doesn't have that type of elastic deformation. It has plastic deformation. Surprise. Mm -hmm. And plastic deformations means every time there's pressure, it fatigues and expands and changes a little bit. So even with a weak gun like the Liberator, which is about this big when it's printed out, and it can only fire a single shot of 380, where which you can buy a gun for $150, it's this big, and hold seven shots of 380, it will only be able to safely, and I use that term very loosely, fire one or two shots. So...
3: Uh, yeah, just to kind of expand on um, what Josh said initially, like these these guns aren't unique in any way other than the manufacturing process. Um, you can go down to the hardware store and buy your own. Uh, they've also got kits online that you can go through and build much more capable handguns in the, exactly the same way, uh, kind of off the books and... Uh, the government doesn't require you to serialize guns that you make at home for your own personal use, but you cannot sell them. So there are tons of options out there. And the 3D printed gun is just a unique take on building your own gun, but it's not necessarily anything new.
0: So Mark, I'm glad that you brought it up that way. And I think everyone brought up that you can already build your own guns, right? Uh, is that legal? And, um, you know, whether it's 3D printed guns, whether it's uh, this other method you're talking about, is this something I could just go home and
3: do tonight? Or. Uh, it depends where you live. Uh, if you're living in DC, then no, you can't. <laughs> um, but for. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So for the vast majority of people in the country, um, you can go to the hardware store, put your own gun together, you can go. Uh, machine your own AR lowers. You can do all of this stuff without any requirements to register it uh, with the FFL dealer, like through a typical. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So you can go out and do it, um, but the restrictions are you cannot produce them for sale. You need a. Uh, you need to be a, um, a federal firearms licensee from the government to uh, be able to produce things for sale. So personal use, absolutely. Uh, In California, you cannot do it. um, Or you can, but you have to register it with the state. They uh, recently passed a law that requires all ghost guns to be registered with the state of California. Um, I would be surprised if other states don't follow suit. um, But uh, generally, you can do it pretty much anywhere.
0: So let's say that I wanted to make my own gun. Would it be easier for me to do this more traditional method that people have been doing for a very long time, it's already legal, or to make one of these 3D printed
3: guns? Uh, I think it would definitely be easier for you to go through the more traditional route. So uh, a lot of companies have figured out ways to sell products that look a lot like firearms but are not Actually, firearms—they're uh, like kind of collo- gun? <laughs> yeah they're kind of—they're colloquially known as 80% uh, frames or receivers. So, the way the federal government regulates uh, uh, firearms is they have a specific part that meets a specific definition that is the firearm. Um, so, anything else that you interchange from that uh, is not part of the actual firearm. It's the actual piece of the gun that meets their definition. So with these 80% uh, frames and receivers, you can take, uh, you can go to one of these companies, you can have it shipped straight to your door, and then you use your own tools to kind of uh, mill out the parts or Dremel, drill, whatever it is, out the parts to make this into a firearm. Then you have to buy everything else, the barrel, the upper receiver, anything else like that to go through the process. So... uh, Definitely a more effective and useful gun <laughs> than a 3D-printed gun. Uh, uh, but maybe not as unique and fun, if you want to look at it that way.
2: Yeah, it's really interesting. that I, I want to go off your receiver thing, because yeah. that's a really important point to make, is that here in the United States, we're kind of unique in that we only view one component of the firearm as the receiver. And it's actually kind of random as to what is the receiver. It's what the ATF has said is on any particular gun. Uh, so it's different on different guns. It is. It's extremely different on different guns. Like um, on a Sten, a, the British side-loading 9mm submachine gun, it's a, a tube. It's a piece of tube. On an AR-15, it's where the trigger group goes. Mm-hmm. On an FN-FAL, it's not where the trigger group goes, but where the bolt goes. So th- these are just parts that have been arbitrarily defined by the ATF as the receiver. That's what you need to, um, to, to get through an FFL if you're just a regular person. And so making a gun yourself... You, we keep mentioning the, uh, the you can 't make it for the purpose of sale thing it's interesting and in that's actually more of a tax law violation than anything else because it's not that we'll it's illegal taxes yeah it's not that it's illegal to make guns for sale it's that if you do not have a manufacturer's license and special occupational tax paid, you cannot be making and selling guns so what people do and have done for a long time is they buy parts kits mm-hmm. which is people go overseas and they buy large quantities of Machine guns, they destroy what is the receiver. The only thing that is considered the firearm. So, like on an AK-47, that's this bent piece of tubing that, or um, piece of steel that goes on the bottom. You cut that up in three pieces, like the ATF tells you to, and then the rest of it has the legal significance of a pencil. You can buy it and have it shipped directly to your house. And for many, many, many years in this country, people have bought these 80% kits and they get together in their garages. There's there's a guy on YouTube who literally built an AK-47 from the parts kit and he used a shovel to make the receiver. (laughs) And as long as you don't make it a machine gun or a short-barreled rifle or anything that's illegal, you are good to go.
0: That's very interesting. So why do you think that there's all this fear about 3D-printed guns, but we don't hear nearly as much about the gun kids?
1: Paranoia. Uh, I don't don't have any of the good word for it. I grew up in New York City. I didn't touch a gun until I was about 20 years old. I went to law school at Mason. And my parents didn't let me play with toy guns. Serve them right, right? (laughs) I'm in G.I. Joe. (laughs) See what happens. They rebel the wrong way. Um, But people have this obsession that someone's going to smuggle in a plastic firearm and commit an assassination or or do something very terrible. These are not plausible fears. There are so many easier ways to get an undetectable firearm. And let me just give you a, a point in fact. We have a law called the Undetectable Firearms Act. It prohibits firearms that have less than a certain quantity of metal. Was this law passed in 2018 or 2015 or 2013? No. It was passed in 1987 or 88. It's been out for decades. If you ever see the Die Hard movie, John McClane, the Bruce Willis character, actually talks about having a porcelain gun. Not that that's a real thing. Yeah. But he talks about having a porcelain <laughs> Glock, which is fictional. It's, a, it's, it's Austrian. It's Yeah. Oh. He called it a German porcelain Glock. It's, you know, it's not real. But there's been this fear forever of having these undetectable weapons it's simply a fantasy that this is going to be the problem. There are so many easier ways of getting guns into places. And my objection is not that there are any prohibitions on printing the guns. That actually is not what exists. The is on sharing the files used to make the guns. Mm-hmm. This is where the First and the Second Amendment collide head on.
0: So that's actually a really good time to transition into this. Um, so when people think about 3D printed guns, they're definitely thinking it's a Second Amendment right mm-hmm. to bear arms issue. But... The case that you worked on, uh, perhaps the big, most important case on this issue, um, really argued that no, it's not. It's a free speech issue covered by the First Amendment.
1: Exactly. So let me give you some background. Um, Since 2015, I've represented Defense Distributed in a federal court, and we've had several litigations.
0: That's the Uh, company that created the
1: Liberator. The The basis of the suit is that Defense Distributed posted on the Internet certain files— And if you download those files and do some work to them, you can print out the individual parts to make the liberator. And the Obama administration, the State Department, said, no, 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 you are engaged in an illegal export of arms. Just think about that for a minute, right? Putting a file on the internet is exporting arms. It almost boggles your mind to think about it. We litigated that case for several years, went up to the Supreme Court, we didn't quite get a victory, went back down to the lower courts. After the Supreme Court remanded it. We actually reached a settlement with the government. They actually came around to their senses and realized they were going to lose. Uh, and they said, okay, you can put these files online. After we won this, corp, uh, uh, this settlement, Defense to posted the files online they were there for five days, downloaded thousands of times all over the internet. You can find them anywhere in the clear web. Just Google. You'll find them real quick. Then what happened? We got sued. A lot. And let me just <laughs> give you the background. <laughs> In the span of five days, five days, we I, we, I, argued four temporary restraining order motions. Now, what's a TRO? A temporary restraining order is when a party goes to court and says you need to enter an urgent injunction to stop them from doing something. Now, the premise of this was insane because we had already posted the files. There was nothing new. It was already online. So we had one TRO filed by... Uh, the Brady campaign, every Everytown for Gun Violence, and the Giffords Group, the entire you know, the entire enchilada, all of them came together, and they sued us in federal court in Texas. And they said, we need to stop this, we need to stop this. And I argued the case, we won. I was like, okay, hey, so far, so good. That evening, we put the files online. Two days later, we got sued by the Pennsylvania Attorney General. And he wanted an ex parte tierra, which means he wanted the judge to rule against without even having an argument present. I actually argued that one on the phone from LaGuardia Airport, probably the worst airport in the United States <laughs> I had to do the argument. When the judge says, get on the phone, you get on the damn phone. And the judge denied the temporary straining order. We say, you know what, Judge? We'll block Pennsylvania IP addresses. That way we can b- build a blue wall, as it were, around Pennsylvania. Okay, fine. <laughs> the next day, we get sued by New Jersey Attorney General. And they sued us in state court, not federal court, but state court. And they actually claimed that putting a file on in the internet was a nuisance. The same way if your, noise, if your neighbor's playing loud music, putting a file on the internet that a Texas server as a nuisance. Nutso. Oh, so it's I said, a nuisance
0: t- for the people trying to block you from getting it. Well, we showed them.
1: <laughs> they said, judge, we'll build a blue wall around New Jersey, we'll block New Jersey IP addresses, and will block mobile access. Judge, fine. Denied the TRO. But later the next evening, we got sued by nine states in Washington and Seattle, and the judge entered an ex parte temporary string order, nationwide injunction against us. And this I want to focus on. The suit in that case wasn't against us directly. It was a suit against the State Department. And these states argue that the Trump administration broke the law by settling the case with us, which is nuts. You can't interfere in foreign affairs. There's so many reasons why this is crazy. But I want to focus on one part, because Cato will appreciate this more than anything else. At the end of the hearing, I said to the judge, Judge, uh, you know, are you ordering my client to take down these files? And the judge says, no, I'm not. Okay, I said, Your Honor, uh, as a result of your ruling, it will now be legal illegal for my client to post these files. He's like, well, that may be true, but sometimes anarchists, you know, sometimes they break the law. <laughs> oh, and sometimes. I said, you know, judge, my client follows the uh, court orders, and I, kind of, the judge kind of scurried off and said, whatever. <laughs> but, you know, this judge actually wrote in his opinion in Seattle that it's okay to... Um, Oh, was it? Not a bridge? but he said. Uh, he said, it's okay to abridge the First Amendment as long as you don't abrogate it, right? He said, it's fine if you abridge the First Amendment. That's what it says. Yep. No law abridging the freedom of speech. So, you know, I think we have here a judiciary that has not taken the First Amendment seriously. They bought into this panic, this hysteria about these dangerous plastic guns. And at bottom, it's a free speech issue. If this was a case involving, you know, posting files online to 3D print sex toys, right? Would anyone think that the government could ban that at all for morality purposes? The mere fact these are guns doesn't make this any less of a speech case. These are content-based restrictions which cannot survive judicial scrutiny.
0: So I think that's interesting, that parallel you drew there. Don't you think that overall we've seen a lot of cases that have been abrogating or abridging the First Amendment rights? Why do do you think that in this particular case you're going to be able to win on those grounds? Well, the court's
1: been actually fairly consistent on First Amendment grounds. There's very little the left and right agree on. But historically, it's been free speech. That may change with our case. I don't know. Um, But generally speaking, when the government wants to classify speech on the basis of its content, it must satisfy what's known as strict scrutiny. What that means is the government needs a really good reason to do it. Now, again, these are files that are already on the Internet. You can find them anywhere. You can download them anywhere. The government does not have a good interest in banning us from sharing these files. I don't think they can satisfy this sort of rigorous scrutiny, especially because under federal law, you can make your own gun. Matt described the process very clearly. There's nothing in the ATF saying you can't do this. Now, maybe if you're a felon in possession, there might be some rules that you can't do, but the government doesn't prohibit the actual creation of these files, so I don't think they can prohibit the sharing of information about those files.
0: Right. I mean, this. Kind of comes back to like, then do we ban all the books that talk about this? Do we ban? They actually
1: the- say you can put the information in a book, but you can't put it on a, on a file. They actually make the distinction, which is <laughs> nuts. Yeah. They actually do draw that distinction, unfortunately.
0: You have to go to the library. I'm sorry. <laughs>
3: um. With the pages, no e no, no Kindle. No Kindle. <laughs> paper. There, there was a guy a couple of months ago that did take the Liberator files and printed it out. And as a book. Yeah, as a book I and sold it on Amazon. And yeah. they, Amazon ended up taking that down, yeah, right? Took it That's, down. Right, because then it's online. God forbid you have a book. <laughs> God forbid.
2: Yeah. And this, this also goes to the fact that this is an information case. You can get a chemistry book, like a collegiate chemistry book, mm-hmm. that has all kinds of really cool compounds in there that you're not allowed to have, right? But just the fact that it gives you effectively the chemical blueprints to make whatever, you know, TNT, meth, does that make it okay to uh, regulate chemistry books? No. And the other fact is here is these files are not like, it's not like you hit print on a Lexmark and then just like a gun just pops out. right Right. All they are are digital blueprints. It is a 3D model. You can, just like something in a video game, it is just a series of shapes. You can then take this file, feed it to a slicer, which turns it into lines, and then ultimately it becomes plastic. But there's nothing unique about these files. In fact, I have pulled files out of video games and made little, little replica guns. Mm-hmm. They work? Uh, no. Uh, i th- thought about that. I could mess with them. Uh, there is one game that is super realistic, and you could mess with it, but the thing is with plastic, you know, a quarter inch of plastic doesn't have the capabilities of a quarter inch of steel. It would probably work once, I guess, kind of, but I would not do it.
0: <laughs> um, but yeah, that's, that's interesting. So basically what you're saying is that you need a lot of equipment you need probably a good understanding of engineering or architecture or something like that,
2: right? Right, but it doesn't matter. Uh, I I think that even if it was the Lexmark situation, it wouldn't matter. Because if, you know, what the law says is that a firearm with no metal in it is illegal. Just like it's illegal to cut a shotgun barrel aft of 16 inches. So you saying you cannot put this file on because you might use it to print an illegal gun maybe, It would be the same as me saying, it is unconstitutional to write the sentence, cut barrel aft of 16 inches. Or to sell a saw,
1: because you might use the shkoda for writing. Right, yeah.
0: yeah. So let's talk a little bit about the climate that's sort of surrounding this. You know, um, I think you kind of alluded to it earlier, Josh, but we have had some disagreements, I think increasing disagreements on both the right and the left about the value of free speech. Uh, and there's also a lot of fear surrounding guns, increasingly. Um, several of the organizations that you mentioned filing the TRO, Against Defense Distributed, are organizations that have come about in the last couple of years. Um, but let's talk a little bit about that. What climate is this? I mean, the, the D.C. Um, potential legislation introduced by Mayor Bowser or promoted by Mayor Browser recently, doesn't even call it a 3D-printed gun. It's completely ghost guns, right? Which is a sort of, like, scare term that these are untraceable, scary weapons that are just going to kill everybody, right?
1: Yeah. Uh, so, you know, the issue of gun control is a very sensitive and delicate one because we do have um, these mass shootings, these mass killings, which are atrocious. Um... The response to these killings is something I think that warrants a careful study. In almost every case, the people who inflict these acts of untold violence would have passed any meaningful background check. And if they didn't, they would have been easily able to obtain a gun in the black market with very little cost. Mm -hmm. My niche issue here is speech. Um, If the government wants to ban plastic firearms that can't be detected, a metal detector, I'm okay with that. I think that that's probably okay under the Second Amendment. Um, That's been the law for, you know, 30-odd years. Um, But the the fear that putting a file on the Internet will lead people to printing out these plastic guns and that warrants giving the government a censorship power really troubles me. Because if they can censor 3D-printed gun files, what else can they censor? Let me give another sort of Cato pivot. Um, intellectual property, which I know none of you actually like. Um, I'm in the right place, right? <laughs> you know who would love the ability to ban 3D printed stuff? Nike, mm. right? If you can print a pair of LeBron James sneakers for $5 in your home printer, that's a hell of a lot more valuable than a 3D printed gun, right? The, the manufacturing uh, the manufacturing concerns are petrified. In fact, Kanye West, I swear, on an episode <laughs> of the Kardashians, said that he's afraid of 3D printers because that puts his fashion line out of business, Right. So at some point, wouldn't it be great for the government to have a little filter inside your 3D printer like a V-chip? Remember those? Mm-hmm. That says, oh, man, this thing looks like a gun. We won't print it. Oh, and this looks like a pair of Air Jordans. We won't print that either. I seriously think that that's what some people would like, the ability to censor the types of files you can download. Oh, you want to BitTorrent that? Well, just put an IP filter in your Comcast Internet account. You can't download that file because there's a certain hash on it. Um, so what we're talking about here, again, is revolutionary. defense distributed pushes the boundaries with guns, but this is not limited to guns. It's the entire spectrum of human consumption that I think the state wants to control.
0: Right, this is just sort of an easy entry into this. Easy,
1: yeah. in camels, nose, in and of the tent. I always forget the thing.
0: <laughs> oh, no, I want to pivot back to what you were saying before your kiddo pivot. Ooh. Uh, because I think that what you said kind of sounds very similar to the NRA's official statement on... 3D printed guns, which um, I think, again, to talk about the climate around guns, the NRA is sort of seen as like the face of the gun movement. Uh, I think a lot of people who are interested in gun policy might disagree with that. But uh, when asked about this, they released a statement of this, that I'm going to read it here. Regardless of what a person may be able to publish on the Internet, undetectable plastic guns have been illegal for 30 years. Federal law passed in 1988, the year I was born, uh, crafted with the NRA support, makes it unlawful to manufacture, import, sell, ship, deliver, possess, transfer, or receive an undetectable firearm. How does that impact this?
1: Well, the NRA has never been on our side. They didn't file any briefs on our support. They, they basically took the position of we're just going to ignore defense distributed, and they've ignored us, which whatever, that, that's your position. Um, but again, mostly everyone agrees that the government can ban the plastic firearm that's undetectable. Um, what the NRA doesn't really care about is free speech. I mean, maybe they do in, in, in a, in a, in a, in a big-picture way. But they don't care about the ability of the government to censor files on the Internet, which is what we have at issue here. And let me just put this a little bit more clear. States are actually proposing legislation. New Jersey is proposing legislation that would ban putting files on the Internet. Just think about that for a second. Not federal legislation. State legislation that would criminalize putting a file on the Internet. That that should make you very afraid. Um, I don't want any government having that power. That if you share a file online and the police find you, they can arrest you. Now, it's not that you're mailing someone a gun. You're merely sharing a file. And there's a difference between these two acts. The Liberator file has been downloaded thousands and thousands and thousands of times. People don't actually print them. They do it for curiosity, to learn. You can use a 3D object to actually study it on the computer. modify it, make tweaks to it, right?
0: Maybe just novelty.
1: Yeah. It's been displayed in museums and art galleries and architecture schools. It's a work of art. Um, This has literary, scientific, social value beyond just being a gun. And I, I try to impress in any audience, this is a friendly room, but any audience I speak to that giving the government the power to start censoring speech on the internet is somewhere we really don't want to go. And because it's guns, people just lose their senses. They lose their inhibitions.
0: I think perhaps because of that and because it is a free speech issue, uh, there's been sort of an interesting group of supporters who've come behind 3D-printed guns. Uh, One of them has been sort of the tech community to some extent and the cryptocurrency community who've sort of defended it as the freedom to code, right? We also have the uh, makers movement um, that supports the right to DIY, the right to, uh, you know, sort of, I guess, fiddle with your own gadgets at home. (laughs) Like, can you talk, can any of you talk a little bit about some of the background there and how those groups have sort of backed this as well?
3: Sure. Uh, At least speaking specifically to the maker movement, that's, uh, at least through some of my reporting, um, it's kind of a mixed opinion there. You've got a lot of people who see this as a as a really cool thing. I mean, three D printing is versatile. It can do a lot of different things. It can uh, it can fix a doorknob. It can do all sorts of stuff, including making the gun. I have
0: a friend who is a three D printing artist, and almost everything in his house is made with a three D
3: printer. It's it, it's really really versatile. Um, but there there were a lot of people within that movement, especially after the Liberator was released. It was like we don't want to do anything with this. Um, so it's been kind of interesting watching that dynamic within that small community. Um, I, I, I don't know what it's going to turn into, but um, it's, it's kind of interesting to watch them. I mean, I
2: can tell you as somebody who's a part of that community hmm. that it's just like Josh was saying. If, you, if there's any way to put effect to this type of law, it's going to cripple the entirety of the maker movement of 3D printing. Because this is it's a simple thing. It's a 3D file that then the software turns into instructions for your little device. If there is a mechanism that is put in place, like you were saying, like a V-chip or something, how quickly would it... Do you think that it's, it's beyond conception that people who hold patents on prosthetics and otherwise wouldn't be the most interested in going out and stuff. That's the best thing that 3D printers have been used for. I mean, I use mine to test out new designs and stuff because I, I have a mill and a lathe, and when I have a final design, I make it out of metal because that's how it should be made out of. But I test it on my 3D printer, and I love that. But the best thing that's come out of this whole thing is that as a, a child who's born without a limb or, or loses it, has access to pretty good prostheses, through this. Right. There's a lot
0: of people using them to make their own medicine, for instance, right? Pharmaceutical medications.
2: I mean, I, I don't know about that. Uh, I, I don't know if, if um, the chemical synthetic uh, printing is... I, I know that you can do that in, like, university settings, but I don't know if that's available to people. But we're going there. You know, we're, this whole, the technology is based in a pretty simple concept. And that's why I always tell people, it doesn't matter. It it, it doesn't matter if the technology was so great to the point where I could press a button and a complete AR-15 would come out, because that's just not how our constitution sets it. The design is speech. And if you let that line be taken, it's it's really, I mean, you know, you always want to avoid the slippery slope argument, but who's got the interests in controlling what you can do with designs? Mm -hmm. I also think it's really argument that the government publishes patents for all of the machine guns and bombs and hand grenade fuses that, you know, have been designed, and they are publicly available to absolutely anyone to download. And you can, and patents... They're
0: designs, right? They
2: are required. You are be- required when you release a patent to have enough information so that the average mechanic could use it to create the device. But somehow, when you have a cool gizmo that makes it out of plastic, it's different. It's It's ridiculous.
0: Right, and perhaps it's because there's that additional tech step, right? I think that's kind of the fear behind it. But that I think what all of this comes to is people are thinking about this, they're worried about the future, perhaps that future where you can just press a button and you get an AR-15. What does technology like this say for the future of gun control?
2: I would say as it stands right now, it really doesn't make a difference in the U.S. because it, it's always going to be steel for a gun to be effectively repeatable. It's, that's never gonna change with technology. I mean, you never say never, but I mean, from the kind of a lot we know about materials, you're always gonna need steel for repeatable firepower in a firearm. And also, it's gonna be a long time till you can print in steel. And, and it's, it's, the printers are out there and they're fairly um, affordable, but to actually sinter it, to get it to the correct temperature and hold it that way so that it forms, that's what cost you at least 100000 And that's not on the horizon. That's right. nowhere on the horizon. So I think it is, it is nothing to do with our conceptions of gun control. I think that this means more for gun control in other countries where the entire, all of the firearm parts are, are regulated. Because here, you, you, know, you can get every part, the barrel, the bolt, and all that other stuff, and put it together in a parts kit and make your own gun fairly easily. In other countries where they regulate absolute everything... Australia. Australia, Japan more so. I mean, Australia, you can still get a gun but fairly easily, not, yeah. not as easily as I'd like. Uh, but in Japan, it might create the difference between someone being able to get a gun or not. But again, the zip gun, the two pieces of pipe, have existed as long as ammunition has existed. It might mean that the, the guns that people would use or, or have available to them look a little bit cooler, but it does nothing to fundamentally change uh, the argument.
0: Well, I know uh, we probably have a lot of questions here in the audience. Uh, Folks at home, too, can uh, tweet in questions with Cato Digital, hashtag Cato Digital, but I want to start off with that. We've got some good questions coming in on Twitter already. Um, So Daniel Gibson asks... Very related to what you were just saying. Will the heat from firing melt or damage a 3D-printed gun? If so, how many rounds can a 3D-printed gun fire before melting affects its operation? Are these actually functional firearms or one-shot wonders?
2: There are functional 3D-printed designs out there, and interestingly, the best ones did not come from Defense Distributed. Um, All of the ones that do function repeatedly have metal liners in the barrel. That said, if you use very anemic reduced-power ammunition that doesn't create much heat. Like actually, when you shoot some of these rounds, they come out cold. They'll be able to fire repeatedly. This is all to do with a function of how powerful the gun is.
0: Also- Those are are slower. They're going out slowly. Exactly, they're going out
2: extremely slowly. This all, everything about whether or not a 3D printed gun can fire multiple times is how powerful the round is. It's basic physics. When you have more energy delivered to the target, you need more force to hold it together in the chamber. So a 380 liberator, I would advise nobody to shoot one. I, I, mean, I, I just wouldn't. 380 is still... Michael, a, 10 fingers. Not a yeah. good idea. No, 380 <laughs> is a pretty competent cartridge, and it, it was a military round for a long time. Uh, I, I yeah, wouldn't so do so were muskets. That. I mean, they, I don't want to get hit by one. Uh, <laughs> but it, it, melting is not as much a concern as the expansion and the fracturing, but I, I would never recommend anyone put a plastic, a, a metal bullet down a plastic barrel. I just wouldn't.
0: Do we have any questions here in the audience? Here, front row.
2: Thank you. I was wondering, uh, the company that's trying to put these online, what is their
3: business model? How do they, how do they plan to make money?
1: Um, so Defense Distributed, which puts these files online for free, um, also... It's manu- worth
0: mentioning, is not the only company involved in this.
1: All right, but Defense Distributed, manufacturing, they call the Ghost Gunner. Um, what's the Ghost Gunner? It's a device that mills the 80% lowers that Matt mentioned a few minutes ago. And those are sold for, I think, over $2,000. They do make it, they do, uh, they, they are profitable.
2: The people who just put the files up are doing it for fun.
1: No, it's okay. it's it's for intellectual purposes. Yeah. They don't make any money.
3: Yeah, okay. I mean, there are whole communities that are, uh, I mean, just building these things, sharing, mm-hmm. and tweaking their each other's designs. Uh, Foscad.org mm-hmm. is one that's a great resource. If, if you just want to go check it out, and like you can scroll through their files on their GitHub page, and it's 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 really interesting stuff. So, I mean, there's a bunch of different people that are uh, doing this. It's not necessarily just a business model.
0: Um, I'm going to take moderator's prerogative because I think that you have an interesting story that I'd like you to share with everyone here. Sure. You made, so not a 3D printed gun, but you made a gun, um, showed people how to make a gun for Reason TV.
3: Yeah, so we, on a video. Yeah, we uh, for our July issue of Reason Magazine, we put together a uh, burn after reading issue, which was, <laughs> Basically, just like uh, kind of gray and black market things. Um, And one of the pieces that we included was how to build your own handgun at home. Um, And we chose to go with a uh, just kind of -of run-of-the-mill Glock 17, which is arguably the most popular handgun in the entire world. Uh, So there are a bunch of different companies, like I was saying earlier, that ship these 80% Glock frames. They're not technically firearms, but if you take a Dremel and remove a couple of tabs on the top and drill a couple holes in it so you can slide the trigger group in, uh, you can put stock Glock parts into this. So what was really cool is we were able to have it shipped directly to us, uh, do it all within with our own tools, uh, and it Functioned fine. It was a lot of it was a lot of fun. So we we put together a uh, uh, put together a how to video. Yeah, how to video and uh, in our article in the magazine. Um, And about halfway through the project, uh, they uh, YouTube changed their terms of service, where they they pulled the ability to publish. Uh, published videos that show how to manufacture firearms. Mm -hmm. So instead we had to kind of uh, call an audible and we published it on Pornhub instead. Uh, And it received very well. The comments on there are great. (laughs) (laughs) I bet. Um, But so it was an interesting project. uh, Very, very easy to do. Took us an afternoon um, and we test fired and it was great. Uh, It's, I, I think it's a, it's really more to do with the companies that are shipping these 80% lowers. They're playing the they're playing the legal game, sending items to the ATF, asking them, "Is this a firearm?" And the ATF will either say yes or no, and they'll send it back. And then they'll send them another one and say, "Well, is this a firearm now?" <laughs> and eventually, they get to a point where it is not a firearm, and they are free to ship it. Um, like I was saying earlier, there are some caveats. Location is one. Um, and uh, the kind of gun you make, it has to be a legal gun as well. Uh, with handguns, it's relatively easy um, because handgun regulations aren't as weird as rifle regulations with short barrels and suppressors and all sorts of stuff. Overall like that. length and all that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's the, uh, um, but it's a. Uh, it, it's, it's very easy to do if you're interested and don't live in D.C. or California, or if you want to register in California, uh, give it a shot. Yeah.
2: <laughs> There's a one case, other thing right? a lot of people aren't aware of, and if you really want to get a firearm that works well without a background check, the federal government doesn't consider anything made before 18—it's either 1899 or 1898—to be a firearm. There have been There's no your, uh, front funda- muskets. well, no, no, no. There have been no fundamental changes in firema- firearms technology that occurred after that. They are fixed cartridge, full power weapons. A lot of which take the same cartridges that you can use now. Um, I have two French 1892 cavalry revolvers, which function exactly as would a Smith and Wesson revolver, and they are legally they have the significance of a pencil. Uh, you can get a 4570. A lot of the old lever action rifles. Those aren't are firearms. Monocle to fire it or no? <laughs> <laughs> no, I just I just put on a pith hat and grow a mustache.
1: Probably have a huge bicycle wheel, right?
2: <laughs> but still, if you and then also replicas of black powder firearms that were designed before that time are also not firearms. So you can buy an Italian six-shot revolver. It's six shots. It's more than a Liberator, mm-hmm. and it's made of steel. So and it's rifled. It won't it's, melt
3: when you shoot <laughs> it. it. Yeah,
2: and it will maybe hit your target. Unlike the Liberator, which will probably not hit your target. So this is, it's, it's just kind of, that's why I was saying that 3D printer doesn't change anything. There are so many alternatives, especially if you've got some money, that it, it really doesn't make a difference.
0: Um, third row, right there. Yes. yes. If you could just hold on for one moment, they'll bring you a mic so that they can hear it on the live stream.
4: Bill Bushka from com. Recently I wrote an article about the about the threat to the electric grid from solar storms and North Korea and all this stuff you may have heard. I tried to pull all the pieces together from different sources to see if it was really credible. How you know because it's mostly the extreme right and the survivalists that are writing all this stuff. About 3D that guns. Okay, I, let me let me get to the point in a minute. I found out that there really is credit. There really is a very serious credible problem. In the course of the am, I posted. I'm sorry. A, can
0: you just get to the question, please?
4: Okay, my <laughs> question is: time. if somebody if somebody links in an article to other sources that themselves would be would be problematic. Is this likely to become a problem for um, content? Um, you know, for Facebook and so forth. There's a long story behind this, but are, is hyperlinking to a file that itself is prohibited likely to be a problem? In, legally for the, the publisher of a blog post or a Facebook post? You're saying something. if someone
0: writes an article about 3D-printed guns and they include a link, for instance, to a 3D-printed gun, is that a Or,
4: or to some other subject matter, like how to make a flux.
0: Well, let's stick to the 3D-printed guns for now.
1: That's, oh, right? that's yeah, yeah. yeah I'll, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll try and take a stab. Um, the definition of publish is somewhat specific in terms of export control law. Yeah. It requires sharing it with a non-U.S. person. Um, putting a file on the internet probably won't do it, would do it, but but a link, I don't think, would cut it. So I think a link would probably really? be okay.
2: Well, yeah, because with the link, you're linking to the other file. And this is actually, while the order was in place, everyone was freaking out. Oh, aren't those files illegal or whatever? I'd be like, oh, wait, no, you're a U.S. citizen, right? And then I'd send it to them on my phone.
1: That's <laughs> not good enough. E- even email, email <laughs> is not secured enough. So So actually... A link may not be good because the link might, may actually, actually be sharing it. It's very, it, it, you have to have basically almost sneaker net, right? So what's DD doing now? They're mailing people thumb drives, right? So the government said you can't believe this the internet? Fine. They're mailing USB drives. Okay. To US persons. But a hyperlink, that's a hyperlink from another file. Yeah. 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 That's weird. I'm not yeah. sure. Not sure
0: that's about weird. that. Not sure. Um... I would like to take another question from Twitter. Matt Powers asks, in 1978, 1981, and 1984, the DOJ wrote a series of memos advising the State Department on uh, First Amendment protections for technical data on munitions. How did those memos affect modern enforcement of ITAR regulations and the proliferation of files like those created by Defense Distributed?
1: Believe it or not, what we're dealing with here is not new. After the Oklahoma City bombing, the U.S. Congress asked the executive branch, can we ban people putting instructions on the Internet to make explosive devices using fertilizer? Right? What was Oklahoma City? They basically made a homemade bomb with with basically fertilizer. Nothing more than that. And DOJ told Congress, yeah, um, no, we can't ban posting instructions on the Internet. So we have a series of memos from the DOJ going back to the 1970s saying that they can't do what they're doing. The State Department has basically ignored these memos for two decades, and we hope and we suspect that we will win this case eventually, sooner or later, Uh, and I think these memos actually got it right.
0: All right, fantastic. Let's take another question from the audience right here. It may not make your voice that much louder. Oh, it's more. Wor- oh, go. there you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was wondering if you could talk a little more about the judge that has issued the final injunction. Um, Last night yeah, about abrogating um, the First Amendment um, and what uh, his reasoning was that made it valid. Was it a content-based versus content-neutral? Or
1: yeah, so uh, the the judge is it's a, it's a preliminary injunction, not a permanent injunction, but the preliminary injunction. Um, spent about a page and a half on the First Amendment. The primary aspect of the judge's ruling is that the Trump administration failed to justify its decision to settle with us, and that's a gross summary, I a very short summary. Uh, He only considered the First Amendment to the extent that there were any sort of competing interests, and we don't think it was a correct decision. That decision is still pending, and... uh, don't want to talk much more about it. But, but the court gave very thrifty service to the First Amendment, and I do not think that will stand up when we get upstairs.
0: Um, Right here in the tan coat.
2: Hi. Uh, Jay Rich, Reason Foundation. Uh, two concise yes or no questions. Can you legally own one of those guns? And... Not the plans, but the gun itself. Yeah, the gun itself, like after you print it and put it together, is that legal to own it? And one of the 1800 guns, can I own one of those in D.C. without registering it? Asking for a friend, right?
4: <laughs>
2: <laughs> um, yeah. If it's, so foregoing all local regulations, like outside of D.C., you put in the requisite amount of metal to a liberator, it's good. It's, you've got to have that requisite amount of metal. Uh, as for the 1800s guns, that's, D.C. has its own definition of a firearm, and it's not the same as the federal definition. So uh, just, just don't bring anything gun-shaped here. Uh, <laughs> 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 not that, yeah, put those down. <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs> Right.
2: The spent cartridges are... Unless,
0: in the
1: unless you're the host to Meet the Press.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, right in the back row.
1: You talked a lot early on about gun kits and how easy it is to assemble a gun. Can you comment a little bit about the relative ease in terms of costs and time and skills and tools between assembling a gun gun kit the traditional way versus 3D printing
0: one of these guns?
2: Okay, so a competent 3D printer that has the requisite amount of space to put together, uh, I mean, let's just say an AR-15, because that's what everybody always wants to frame things in terms of. You have to spend about $300 to $400 for the printer. All right, and all you're gonna be able to print out is the lower receiver. So if you wanna get an AR-15 parts kit, it's gonna be the same amount of uh, cost either way. It's like 350, 400 bucks, don't quote me on that. Uh, so that's the same. We've got $400 for your 3D printer here. On this side, a 80% lower receiver probably costs you 50, 60 bucks, and then depends on how inventive you are. A lot. Some people use a, a hand drill to finish them out, uh, you know, owning a mill would be better, but if you're patient and you want to use files, you can. Uh, you just have to follow the instructions and, and do it correctly. So it could be as little as 20 bucks if you've got a lot of time to file.
0: So we're almost out of time. I'm going to take one more question from Twitter, and then I have one more question for all of y'all. Uh, so Sensa asks... Where does the federal government derive its legal authority to regulate firearms, and does that same authority apply to the distribution of three D printed gun parts, schematics, and programs?
1: Uh, yeah, <laughs> so I'll, I'll give you a brief. I have my Cato concert always my
4: Oh,
1: sorry. Uh, knocked my concert, knocked my mic off. Bad mic drop. So. The federal government has few and far between powers. They're very few. They're enumerated. The basis of virtually everything the federal government does is what's called the Commerce Clause, which operates in conjunction with the Necessary and Proper Clause. In short, it says Congress can regulate commerce among the states and they can do whatever is necessary and proper to uh, 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 affect interstate commerce, just to summarize it grossly. So if I sell a firearm it affects interstate commerce. If I make my own firearm, it affects interstate commerce. If I make a firearm from parts only in my own state, it affects interstate commerce, which is the basis of everything the feds do.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: What was the second part of the question?
2: Um,
0: Does that impact 3D-printed guns as well?
1: Well, yes. The the, the Undetectable Firearms Act is premised on, duh, yes, the Commerce Clause and the Necessary and Proper Clause. So basically every... Gun control law is based on those provisions of the Constitution.
0: Almost every law.
2: Yeah, is that it is. <laughs> it is the uh, it's become the Swiss Army knife of the Constitution, that, and this isn't long standing either. This is relatively new. There are people alive who remember it being read. I would say correctly.
1: Those are the days. Yeah. If <laughs> I say before Roosevelt. In this in, the, in, this, in this audience, uh, we could use a man like Herbert Hoover again. Not just kidding. <laughs> Um, so. <laughs> he made lousy appointments to the court, though lousy appointments.
0: I can't comment on that. He did; they at were all.
1: bad. <laughs> <laughs> it's
0: a little before I was born. Um, gotcha. <laughs> so this has been a really interesting conversation. In one to two
3: sentences,
0: what message would you like people to take away from it?
3: Uh, I guess I'll go ahead and start. Um, the most interesting thing to me about all of this is looking at the way the government has. Intera- like reacted to the gun files and the 3D printed gun. Um, and I think that's kind of a gut reaction for, uh, I mean, the small arms are the seat of all political power. And the government kind of sees this, especially uh, um, the people who are anti- uh, arguing for an anti-gun agenda are going for this. But at the end of the day, none of it, none of it really matters, right? Because all of this, you can make a gun with a pipe, you can make a gun with uh, anything that you want, right? And if you look at all of the modern conflicts over the past decade, uh, in the early stages, they were fought mostly with homemade weapons. There was a guy in China the other day, um, there was a video that surfaced online that was pretty interesting of a guy making rocket artillery attached to a... um, uh, wheelbarrow to drive away government bulldozers, um, so like this isn't new there's no real threat from 3D printed guns, but what this is is a attempt to regulate the information that you have access to it 's an attempt to to tell you what you can and cannot consume, make do, uh, and I think that we should take it very seriously on both a first and second amendment issue. Um, it could be a slippery slope, otherwise, but people are ingenious and do what they want anyways. so what do you do
2: <laughs> i mean i 'm not going to pretend that for me it 's not about guns and gun designs, but I think that there 's a, a different message that we can that we can put out in this: Do we want to live in a country where if somebody wants to design a gun and share it with people and, you know, for whatever reasons want to advance technology with their new design, do we want to build a world where that person feels scared to share that information? It, it doesn't, you can design a gun one day and something else, another. Uh, Hiram Maxim started out making mouse traps, and then he made the Maxim machine gun, one of the most popular machine guns ever made. We don't want to disincentivize design, especially not in this country. We are a brilliant and entrepreneurial country. We, we really want... If you want to make a, a design, anything, you should feel empowered to do so without permission.
1: I don't want the government to have the power to censor the internet. That, I think, would be devastating. And if they use 3D guns as the panic, as the fear that justifies giving the state the power to censor the internet, we will all be worse off, far worse off than if these plastic guns get into the hands of the wrong people. And that's how I balance this, this case
0: that note, thank all of y'all for coming here today, and for those of you tuned in online on one of our various channels, thank you for tuning in, and thank you to all three of my panelists, Mark McDaniel, Matt LaRossiere, and Josh Blackman. Um, for those of you here, I invite you to join us to continue the conversation uh, over drinks in Cato's Winter Garden, and... For everyone else, if you follow the hashtag Kato Digital, you'll find out about upcoming events in this series. Thank you.